You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. We're going to be in the book of James tonight. James chapter 3 is where we will be. And so if you find it, go ahead and stand out of the honor of the reading of the scripture. Just respect of God's word tonight. James chapter 3. And uh, we are... Anybody know what James chapter 3 might be known for? What's that? The tongue chapter. That's right. And uh, this is the, uh, the chapter that James starts to meddle. And he starts to really get kind of a little bit personal... And yet, this is such an important subject, and I uh, can't really skip it. You know, we've got to dig in here tonight, and, uh, you know, he's examining the, their faith. He's giving them tests. You know, he tested their, the test of temptation, the test of trials, the test of, of sinful test, of t- simple tempt, sinful temptation, the test of doing, uh, the test of how you treat other people, impartiality, the test of works. And then we come to this, this section, which would be the test of tongues. And he's, he's allowing them uh, to self-examine themselves and, and giving them tests and say, here's, here's another test of faith. How genuine is your faith based on how you speak? And that's a pretty convicting thought tonight and one that, that's a little hard-hitting and direct, but it might be the most important one in many ways. So James chapter 3, verse 1 It says, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. And and our focus will be primarily in verse 1 and 2, but I'll read down through 6. He says, we shall receive the greater condemnation, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man or mature man and able also to bridle the whole body. If you can control your tongue... You're doing something right, is what he's saying. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. That's the control and the power of the tongue. He says, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Well, that's serious, serious business tonight. ...from Brother James. And our focus tonight will be on the first two verses... ...just because there's a lot to unpack... ...and I don't want to rush through it... ...but I want to deal with this thought tonight... um, ...at least part one... ...the most dangerous church member. The most dangerous church member. And I'll just give you a heads up... ...it's not the kids running through the hall after church. Now that can be dangerous. We're not talking about kids. We're not talking about a teenager... We're not, we're not talking about a new convert. We're talking about a member that is seldom seen but is often heard. The most dangerous church member is the tongue. 
And so we'll be looking at that tonight. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Like most churches, we have property insurance that covers our building and our vehicles and protects us from liability and, and such. And there have been a few times since I've been here that we've had to call them for one reason or another. And, uh, you know, sometimes insurance companies are helpful and sometimes they're not so helpful. But, um, you know, there are times we've had, you know, you pay a lot of money to an insurance company every month to, uh, who has way more money than you and in order to protect you from a big expense. But sometimes they're still reluctant to pay even though you've been on time with your payments. You know, they, put up, they have uh, helped us out a couple times recently. Uh, we've had our vehicles targeted and catalytic converters stolen and uh, just a few small items. And, you know, we had that windstorm a couple years ago come through and take off one of the ridge vents on this side. And, and uh, they wouldn't help us very much at all. But, you know, that's okay. We're not bitter. So, um, you know, every year a representative from the insurance company comes out, though, and has a meeting with us. And does a walkthrough of our building and and usually after the walkthrough then we get a report of the things that that we should have done differently or we need to fix you know little things that you don't think about very often but a lot of them are fire hazards or tripping hazards or we've got stuff that's kind of piled up in front of an exit and or or expired defibrillators or you know those kinds of things he's checking all of that and checking our fire extinguishers and things like that. You know, it's a church thing, um, but in church work, stuff just magically appears every once in a while. And if you don't believe that, go into any storage closet in any church that's ever existed. <laughs> stuff just appears. Or go look at the coat rack over by, we, we, you know, we take all this stuff, with, by the way, just so you know, uh, if stuff gets left on the coat rack just so it's not as visible, very often we clean it off and we put it on the coat rack over here and and I'm a little worried about some of your Bible reading habits. There's been some Bibles there for a while, you know, read your Bible, pray once a year, you know, that song, that old classic junior church song. I hope you're doing it more than that. You know, we've got Bibles and we've got jackets and we had patch hats and patch sashes and patch books and patch scars and patch kids and, you know, it's just... All kinds of things that gets left over there. It's a church. That's what happens. And stuff just appears every once in a while. And, and you're not sure where it comes from. But often stuff ends up in front of an exit. And, and if that happens, then, you know, that, that's where, you know, in a utility closet, for instance, that's when the insurance company would say, you've got to move this. This is a tripping hazard. It's, it's blocking a fire exit. And, and he'll ask us to clear it out. And it's so funny when it happens because they think if we move it this year, it'll stay clear till next year and it's amazing when you move something that that automatically magically something just takes it its place you know that that's what happens but did you know that one thing that our insurance rep has never warned us about he's never brought up as dangerous he's never asked us to put a clause in our insurance uh, policy that details uh, the actual most dangerous issue in our church and it's something far more risky than blocked exits and it's more serious than safety measures um, on our vehicles and, and, and it's in need of far more attention than our shingles and our fire extinguishers Be included in every church insurance policy in my opinion should be something called the tongue clause the tongue clause because if anything is going to cause a problem in a church, 
It's far less likely to be a blocked exit than an uncontrolled tongue. See, look what James writes in James 3, 5. He says, even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. That sounds like an insurance policy hazard to me. You know, the tongue is the most dangerous member of the church. One pastor called the tongue the two-ounce beast. Because the tongue, that's about what the tongue weighs. It's about three inches long, and it helps us chew, and it helps us taste, and it helps us to articulate our words and make sounds. But the Bible also is very clear about the tongue's ability to deceive and destroy and devour It's a sharp sword and it breaks bones and backbites and gossips and flatters and poisons. These are all things the Bible says about the tongue. And we're not doing an exhaustive uh, study on the tongue tonight. I'm just letting you know the Bible says a lot of negative things about the tongue. It is a two-ounce beast. It's the most dangerous member in my opinion. And James knows that. So he transitions them his readers into a focus on the tongue as another genuine test of faith. And it's not the first time that James has dealt with the tongue. I mean, just even in our reading and going through, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, he said in James 1.19. In James 1.26, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. And, and he says in verse chapter 2, 12, so speak ye and so do. He, in chapter 3, he gives half the chapter to it. In chapter 4, verse 11, speak not evil of one, one of another, brethren, he says. In James 5, he talks about letting your yeas be yeas and your nays be nays. And, and so he deals with it a lot, really more than probably more regularly than just about any other New Testament book. The tongue comes up over and over and over. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, James is concerned about the two-ounce beast. The most dangerous member. And it will cause more grief than we can handle. And James wasn't the only one talking about the danger of the tongue. I mean, from the beginning. I mean, you think about Adam and Eve when after Adam and Eve fell. You know, what did they start doing when God came and, and talked to them or confronted them about their sin? They started blaming other people. It's been an issue for a long time. I mean, you go from the the early stages of the Bible to the book of Proverbs especially and the book of Psalms and then you go to Jesus' own words and you go to Paul's epistles. I mean, the tongue comes over, over and over and over again. And I would submit to you that nowhere is the relationship between faith and works more evident than in our speech. See, speech is an outward evidence of an inward faith. And, and there may not be a more sure tell about where one's faith lies than in the quality of their speech. Right. I'll say that again. There may, may not be more sure evidence about where one's faith lies than in the quality of their speech. See, what you are will eventually be revealed by what you say. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Listen, the tongue is a window to the heart. It gives a glimpse into our heart. So James then goes into this list of reasons why the tongue needs to be tamed. 
in chapter 3. And we're not going to get to all of them tonight. I just, I, I want to at least though kick off with, with the first thought here in, in verse 1 really. And, and, and why does the tongue need taming? And James' first comment is honestly a little surprising. He doesn't, he, he goes a direction that we wouldn't necessarily consider when he's talking about the tongue. He says, my brethren, so we know he's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers. He says, be not many masters. Knowing that uh, we shall receive the greater condemnation. What does he mean by that? When he says, be not to many masters. Well, the word masters is referring to teachers. And the, the Greek word is didaskalos. And it's actually the term most commonly ascribed to Jesus Christ. I mean, over 60 times when people would come to Jesus Christ in the Gospels, they would call him master or they would call him rabbi or it means rabbi or teacher. And that's what, that's what they referred to him as. And, and so James is addressing them then a, a problem in these early churches of those that are trying to be teachers. And they're trying to have authority. And they're trying to have influence. But, but, and, and I think that was maybe encouraged for a few reasons. Uh, a couple of reasons is that one reason that would have been a, an issue is that a rabbi was an esteemed position to the Jews. They would have really looked up to the rabbis, to the teachers, that they were these master teachers who, who had the respect and the honor of their fellow Jews. Unfortunately, though, if you read about the rabbis, you read about the master teachers in the Gospels, then you know based on what Jesus said, they loved the attention and they loved the privilege that came along with the position, which is what caused the Lord to say to them, the Pharisees and the scribes, many of whom were rabbis, he said the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat, but all their works do they for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries, and phylacteries were those, the scrolls, the parchment of, of, of law. They would take pieces or, or uh, passages of the law, and they would write it out on these parchments, and they would roll it up in leather and put it on their forehead or their arm or over their heart, and they would carry those around so they could read the law. And, and they would make these, what he's saying is they would make their, broad their phylacteries that they would make these scrolls bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, the homeschool kid that brings the family Bible to, to youth group, you know. You know, he wants to let people know, you know, I'm serious about this. Broad their phylacteries, he says. They would enlarge the borders of their garments and, and they would do these things, these are religious activities to let people know just how spiritual they are. And he says they love the uppermost rooms at the feasts, they love the chief seats in the synagogues, and they love the greetings in the markets. They love it when people come up to them and call them rabbi, rabbi. You know, Jesus was, was not easy on the scribes and the Pharisees. And he let them know that their, their, their idea of religion was not his idea of religion. And so James isn't saying, listen, you don't need to strive to teach God's word. No, he's saying there's a spirit of those that want to be teachers, those rabbis that you've known who simply want the attention that comes with the position of influence. And that's an issue. That was causing an issue. Another reason that that would have been a problem for James's readers is it was a Jewish tradition for any man that wanted to to be able to have his say in the synagogues. 
So any man that wanted to, when they met together to uh, worship in the synagogue or teach, when they would gather, any respectable man could get up and he would have the opportunity to speak. It was like open mic night every Saturday. They could get up and they could say what they wanted. You, if you brought something, then you could say it. And, but, but Paul gave a warning even to that in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, when he said, how is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm? You're all scrambling to sing and play a song. Or He says, every one of you hath a doctrine. Every one of you hath a tongue. You, every one of you hath a revelation. You hath an interpretation. He says, let all things be done into edifying. See, their motive when they would get together then was to be seen. And, and, and they, got, they, they get their turn at the mic. And they've got their song. And they've got their doctrine. They've got their teaching. And Paul says, it's not about you. He says it's about edification. And edification means to build up the church. So it's about the building up of the church family. So obviously then this Jewish tradition of being able to say what you want when you wanted to say it, it became a problem that was carried over into the early churches and that it was all about self and they had nothing of substance to say. And, and so now you say, well, what about Jesus? He went into the synagogues and he did teaching. I, I, I think that it wasn't a problem when he did it. I'm pretty sure that, that he, had, he wasn't an official rabbi, but when he taught the scriptures, the Bible says he did as one having authority, not as the scribes. I'm pretty sure that Jesus Christ knew how to expound the scripture. He, probably, he had a lot of mic drops at open mic day down at the synagogue. But that doesn't mean, though, that everybody is qualified then to do the teaching. That's what James is saying. And, and listen, this isn't me standing up here saying, well, I'm qualified or certain people are qualified, but you're not qualified. That's not it. I'm dealing with the issue of the text that James is dealing with. And, and since he deals with it, then we're coming along expositionally going through the book and we're going to deal with it too. He, he's saying, he's warning against this, this mindset that says, I want to teach too. And I want to be heard too. And I want to have my say. And I want my influence. And he's saying it's not everybody's calling. It's not everybody's position. And he's warning against this mindset because he's saying, he's also saying it's not everything it's cracked up to be. It's not as glorious as you might think it is. And again, he's not telling us not to become teachers. Listen, I will say this. We need men that can stand up and expound the scriptures at Eastside Baptist Church. And we need ladies to be able to, to open the Bible and teach our kids and, and help in Sunday school and junior church and teach them and, and be able to, to expound the scriptures. It's okay. We want that. He's not discouraging those that have a calling. He's not discouraging those that are doing it for the right reasons. He's warning those who are seeking to be masters. And, and he gives a few principles here that are, that are applied or implied in this warning and one of those principles is this. Don't seek a position without being proven. Don't seek a position without being proven. See, it's human nature to want a title. You know, what will my title be? And you, you want the title over the door and you kind of admire the title when you get your own office. And, uh, you know, I, when I was a kid, my dad, he's a pastor, and somebody, somebody made him this big wooden thing that said, Reverend Jamie Jett. And I thought, man, that's so important. Reverend. You know, but there's danger in seeking a position before you've proven yourself. 
That's the mindset that James is working against. See, they, there has to be a proving stage. Paul said, lay, no, lay uh, hands on no man suddenly. And I think about Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when he became king, he had a position, didn't he? And yet the young men got into his ear and he tried to throw his weight around and, and he lost 10 of the tribes. And see, we can do that. We think, well, I've got a position. If I have a position, that's all I need. No, it's a weighty matter to declare God's word. It's a serious issue. It, and I mean, I think about preaching and, and the, just my experience. One, one pastor said this, you know, there's no special honor in preaching. He says there is only special pain. The pulpit calls those anointed to it as the sea calls its sailors. And like the sea, it batters and bruises and does not rest. To preach, to really preach... And this is, this is a little dramatic, but he says it's to die naked a little at a time and to know each time you do it that you've got to do it again. And I'm not sure I fully subscribe to the drama of that statement, but I can tell you I've spent more than a few sleepless Saturday nights. And honestly, Sunday nights. When I thought, man, that, I, that didn't go like I wanted it and... I'm either in anticipation and not sleeping or I've got, you know, re regret not sleeping. Yeah. I'm just telling you the burden of preaching. And we think, well, you know, if I was just in the position of being a pastor is not a position. Being a pastor bear, it carries responsibility. Right. And responsibility that you can't really explain to somebody else. I'm not asking for a pity party, I'm just telling you, to declare God's word is not just a position. It's a responsibility with eternal, uh, eternal consequences. It's said of the Scottish reformer John Knox that he had to be escorted from the pulpit before his first sermon because he was weeping so hard and he had to, they had to take him out so just so he could regain his composure and get back up in the pulpit and speak. The burden of responsibility when it comes to declaring God's word, it should be significant to us. To declare God's word, knowing that souls hang in the balance, that's heavy, heavy stuff. So don't be so quick, what James is saying, don't be so quick to seek a position until you've been proven. Because the pressure and responsibility is heavier than you realize. And you say, well, you know, that's for preaching. No, he doesn't, he's not just talking about preaching. He uses the word masters, which is teachers. Somebody that teaches God's word. And listen, I look around the room and we've got Sunday school teachers and we've got junior church teachers and we've got um, adult class teachers and youth teachers and we've got men that on Sunday mornings stand up here and, and you're not in the pulpit, but you're right in front of it and you're opening God's word with giving a devotion and listen, this, this weighty matter of declaring God's word, it's not just for the pastor. It's for anybody that might stand in front of other people and speak God's word, declare it. And James is saying, be not many masters. He's saying, don't, be a, don't seek a position until you've been proven because this is a big deal. Another principle that's implied from this is don't seek influence without substance. Don't seek influence. So you've got don't seek a position without pr being proven. But then he says don't seek influence without substance. See, they, they wanted influence, but they didn't have the substance to back it up. 
You know, everybody wants to be an influencer. An influencer these days is simply somebody who puts, on, puts content out on social media. I mean, they literally, there are young people in this generation, and you ask them what they want to be, and they're not saying firemen and policemen and what doctors. They're saying, I want to be an influencer. And what they're saying is, I want to sit in front of a camera with a microphone, and I just want to put out content. I just want to put out videos. and I want to influence. You don't have to have a degree. You don't have to have expertise. You don't even, I, I believe, you don't even have to have a brain. All you need is a YouTube or an Instagram account. And people with no life experience, no education, no substance are, are influencing a whole generation of young people with fluff. They're just entertaining them with silly stuff that doesn't matter at all. And they're creating a generation of shallow protégés. People that are following behind them with shallow, just shallow thoughts and shallow feelings. And what could I do to get a laugh? What could I do to go viral? And you've got people, like famous families like the Kardashian family. And, and they're, they're, they're one of the most influential families um, in the world. And they're only famous because they're famous. There's no discernible talent. There's certainly no character there. There's nothing really there to look up to and respect. And yet they're famous. They're influencers. That's who's influencing the next generation. It's influence without substance. And if it's not helping our culture, and if it's not going to help our culture, then why would we try it in church? See, those that stand before others should have substance, depth, sincerity and it's not about talent although God gifts people to do this it's about spiritual depth that's who James says should be influencing others if you want to influence don't seek a a position seek substance spiritual substance how have a real walk with God have an ever-expanding knowledge of God's word be a listener instead of a talker You know, uh, you should listen more than you talk. We should. Now, we're all guilty of talking too much. I'm not, and that happens, uh, listen, that happens, but if you're in the habit of talking over people or talking more than people, everybody wants a voice today. Nobody wants to just observe and listen. But you know, you don't develop substance by talking. You develop substance by observing and taking things in and learning truth. It's not about what you put out. It's about what you take in. And as a church, we have people coming from all walks of life. I mean, I was looking around this morning and we got people from different places and, you know, different guests. And and you know what they should find at Eastside? They should find listeners. When we have guests that come into our, our building, uh, one of the things we should strive to be is, yes, we should strive to be friendly, but let's let them talk. Ask them questions. Listen to them. Because there's something that gravitates you, pulls you to, to somebody that's a good listener. Be interested in learning about them and not just talking about yourself or talking over them. Now, we want them to know we're, we, we care about them. And in a world where everybody's talking... Let's just listen. It's going to set us apart. 
There's something to learn from everybody. And everybody wants to be an influencer. But you can't truly influence until you have substance. That's, that's the implied application here. So don't seek a position until you're proven. And, and don't, be, don't seek to be an influencer until you have substance. Another implied application then is don't seek authority without self-control. Don't seek authority without self-control. There are a few things more dangerous than somebody that's in, in charge um, that doesn't have control. And by that, I mean, you know, self-control. See, all it takes is one out-of-control policeman in a right or the wrong situation to tarnish the reputation of an entire department. And that's happened. And, you know, they get painted with a broad brush. What our police force, I believe, is made a, a majority primarily of good men and women who want to do right and want to serve their community. And you've got just a few out there that don't use their heads. They're in authority, but they don't have self-control. And it kind of throws everybody into the same brush. It takes, all it takes, you know, is a dad who has no control over his anger to lose the heart of his children. When you have authority and you don't have self-control, you're putting yourself at risk and the people that are under you. It takes a pastor without control of his spirit to divide a congregation. It just takes the, right, the, the wrong spirit in a position of authority. And I'm telling you, the damage that can be done is almost irreparable sometimes. Authority can't effectively hold a position of influence until they've proven themselves with self-control. So what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 9.27? He says, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And what he was saying is, I have an opportunity to influence other people, but I can't seek to be an authority in somebody else's life if I don't have control in mine. You know, this is pretty, a pretty convicting thought for the dads in this room. Because we have authority and we have influence and we have a position. But dads without self-control are damaging their families. They're hurting their children and they're scarring their wife. And they're causing discord in their own family, in their own home. And we've got to be careful. If you have a position of authority, be careful of, of approaching that position without self-control. See, Paul knew a lack of self-control would undo any teaching that he was trying to do in people's lives. No matter how intelligent, no matter how dynamic he was. And James then is using the same thought. He uses the tongue as a litmus test for control. And he's saying, yeah, you can try to be a teacher, you can try to influence, you can try to have a position, but if you don't have control over this, then you're setting yourself up for some greater condemnation. condemnation. If you can't control, if you can control your tongue, he says in verse 2, you're a perfect man, but if not, you're in big trouble. And if you can't tame the tongue, you probably aren't spiritually mature enough to use your tongue in front of other people. That's the idea. If you can't control that tongue, then you ought not be standing in front of people and teaching. There's no telling what the damage uh, can be done, what damage can be done with that. So, you know, Paul gives, so James gives his reasons for these principles. He, here's why taming the tongue is so important, he says. Don't be, you shouldn't seek a position uh, with, without being proven, and you shouldn't seek influence without having substance, and you shouldn't seek authority without having self-control. And here's why those things matter. Ready? Because we answer for every word we say. 
We answer for every single word we say. And if you desire to teach, then you say many words in front of people. I mean, I'll say, usually when I write my, uh, a sermon, um, I'll write out about 3,000 to 3,500 words. You know, this, this sermon tonight is about almost is about 3,100 words. You say, well, that's really weird that you would go to those links. No, the word count is really how I know how long the message was gonna, go, going to be. Now, I don't typically just read my message. I'm doing most of it because I have it memorized, doing it off the cuff and speaking to you, not looking at my notes. I try not to, but that's a lot of words. Usually when I speak, I wouldn't be surprised if I'm speaking 4,500 to 5,000 words by the time it's done. And if I do that three times a week, then in front of 150 to 200 to 250 people sometimes, then 15,000 words are coming out of my mouth in front of other people. And you say, boy, I wish, boy, I, wish I had that kind of influence. I wish I, I wish I had that position. I, I wish I, I had that kind of authority. Until you stop to realize that the more you say, the more there is to answer for. The more you say, the more you have to answer for. And there are a lot of applications, but tonight I'm just trying to say what the text says in the first verse or two. It is that as you, if you desire to speak in front of other people and you carry authority and teach and influence and inform, then you will be held to a higher standard. And right speech is such a critical mark of genuine faith, which means that we as teachers will be held to a higher standard in our speech, not just in the classroom, but out of the classroom. Teachers are a greater risk for judgment because they're, they're a greater risk of saying something uh, that, that they'll be judged for. And not just down here, I mean, judgment not just down here, not just condemnation here, condemnation before God. The more we say, the more there is to answer for. We will stand before God at the judgment seat, the Bema seat of Christ, and we'll give account of ourselves to God. And Jesus Christ himself said in Matthew 12 that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Every word. Teenager, every word you said at youth con in the dorms. Every joke you told. You start thinking about it that way, it gets real sober, doesn't it? Men, every, every, every joke you tell when it's just you and your buddies. Every word that comes out of your mouth. I mean, if you're on social media, every word you type, every idle word. So be careful of thinking, well, if only I had a position. If only I had influence. If only I had a plaque over my door that said teacher. If only I had authority. And if only I had a position. If only I had, I had influence. No, when you start to realize that every word, the more you say, the more you have to answer for, you might be thinking, you know what? Maybe teaching's not for me. 
See, James's message is clear. Before you run to a podium, give yourself a tongue exam. You know, when we take our kids to the doctor, it seems like the first thing that they do every time is say, okay, stick out your tongue. It's like, you know, hey, they have a sore throat. All right, stick, uh, stick out your tongue. They've got an earache. Okay, stick out your tongue. Her foot's obviously broken. Stick out your tongue. As if like that's the first step to real treatment, you know. Stick out your tongue. Well, you know, I, I think that's silly, but I think that we as God's people who you think, well, I don't have influence. No, if there's somebody younger than you at Eastside Baptist Church, you have influence. Every one of us. And you say, well, I'm not held to this standard. No, you have influence. Somebody's looking up to you. And when you consider that, it's not just about standing in front of people and declaring God's word. It's about living it out every day to the people that are watching you. And we need then, if we're going to do that and do that in such a way that we don't have greater condemnation, then we need a, uh, we need a tongue exam. You want to know uh, where you are in your faith? Then examine the words that you're saying. Be sure that you're an example of the believer in speech, both in private and in public, because you're going to answer for every word. So the principle is this, control comes before influence. Control of the tongue is the sign of readiness for influence. That's the sign of readiness for a position. It's the sign of readiness for an authority. So here's my question to you tonight. Um, listen, if, do you want to teach? How's your speech? Do you want to teach? How's your speech? I mean, it took me a long time to come up with that rhyme, but that is good stuff. I've already copyrighted it. You want to teach? How's your speech? The idea is, do you think you're ready to influence somebody else? Okay, how's your speech? You think you're ready to make a difference in somebody else's life? You think you're ready? Hey, this is a good application. You think you're ready to take a continue book and take a new believer and go with them, with them through that book and teach them? You think you're ready for that? How's your speech? When you realize how much teaching actually gets done, how much influencing is actually going on, you realize that there, there are more of us that have potentially uh, more to answer for than we realize. You want influence, say ah. Now teachers at Eastside, those that influence at, at Eastside should be careful of how they use their tongue when they're not teaching. I mean, if, if you're one of those that engages in the gossip or the unkindness or criticism, I'm not saying that goes on. I don't see that. I'm thankful for it. But listen, you ought to, if you have a responsibility to teach, then those things should not be in your vocabulary. Teachers at Eshad should be careful of what they teach doctrinally. That one goes without saying. Just tonight, I mean, as Pam was asking me a, a doctrinal question, we were talking about it, and, and uh, she was teaching me all the things she knows about it, and I was learning, and teach me, Rabbi, you know, <laughs> Rabbi Pam. So, you know, teachers at Eshad, Eshad should be careful of what they say in front of their students. I mean, if we're going to answer for every word... I just want to challenge you. If it's a questionable word, teachers, don't use it in front of the kids. I've heard of some words that teachers might throw around. It's not like a bad word, but if it's a euphemism, 
And there may be families in our church that are trying to get their kids to not say that stuff. And if a teacher is saying those words, a kid's going to go home thinking, well, that's okay. See, that's what I'm talking about. You say, well, you're really meddling and you're really getting harsh. No, that's what James is talking about. He's saying if you're going to stand in front of people and you're you're going to teach, there's a higher standard. There's tighter judgment. The more you say, the more accountable you're going to be. You want to teach, how's your speech? See, the principle is clear, is that there should be control before you have influence. And that's why we don't throw people into positions until they're proven. And we don't give influence until there's some substance. And we don't give authority if someone lacks control. But listen, teaching's more than a title. Let's just take this one step forward. You may not, uh, you may not hold the position or a title of teacher. But let me just ask you to quote the verse, okay, if you know it. You know, Matthew 28, verse 19, it it says, it starts like this. Go ye therefore, and what? So when Jesus said that, was he talking only to the pastors? And was he only talking to the adult Sunday school teachers? Was he only talking to the junior church workers? I mean, I'm sure they had junior church in the first church. I mean, surely. Was he only talking to those that took somebody through the continued discipleship? No. You know who he was talking to? He was talking to disciples. So before you think, well, I don't have a higher standard on me because uh, I'm not teaching and I don't, I'm not, you know, I don't have a position. No, you don't, may not have the title but, and you may not have the authority or the, or, or the position But as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have the calling. And there's a calling on every one of our lives to teach. To be able to take God's word and tell somebody what it says and what it means. And if you are a disciple, then you are responsible to teach. And if that's the case, then the requirement of a controlled tongue applies to every single person in this room. See, this is not a selective trait. It's not only for the seasoned veteran Christians uh, with the title over their door. No, this is, it's for anybody who's a disciple. And here's the idea is that we will all answer for every word we say. Because we represent God everywhere we go. It's not only that, you know, Titus talked about the older women and the older men. The older women teaching the, old, the younger women. The older men teaching the younger men in a church that's supposed to happen naturally. That's why I said earlier, if you have, if there's anybody in this church younger than you, you have influence. And for for some of us, there's a lot of people in this church younger than us. For some of you, most of the church. But I, I mean, I think about my son, Jason, I think about Wyatt and these guys down here and and I think about the fact that if, if there's somebody, Jace, if there's somebody in this church younger than you, did you know that you are a teacher? You have influence. You guys have influence. So it's not just the ones with the positions. It's not just the ones, now, now they're scared. It's, 
It's not just the ones with the title. It's not just the ones with the banner over the door. It's anybody in a church that's a disciple and anybody in a church that somebody else is younger than them. Right now, I think probably Samara, she's probably, the, is she the youngest, youngest one here tonight, maybe, about? Okay, she's off the hook. <laughs> Can tell her she doesn't have to listen to the podcast. But everybody else, if you thought you were off the hook when it comes to being a teacher, you're not. So what James is telling us is that every one of us, listen, if you have influence and if you have the ability to teach and if you're a disciple, then, then you have a responsibility to tame your tongue. Because you are going to answer for every word you say. Listen, the more you say, the more there is to answer for. So what about your speech needs to be adjusted? What words keep you from influence at Eastside? What jokes or references or inferences do you tell that might affect your leadership or testimony? What approach do you take toward teaching that maybe God may not be happy with in terms of how serious you are about it or not? What about your speech is most likely to be the greater condemnation? What opportunities for influence are you missing out on because of a lack of control? See, the most dangerous member of our church is the one all of us carry around. And it's only about two ounces. And it's only about three inches. But if we don't control it, we're going to have much to answer for. Especially those of us with influence. So next time, we're going to continue with more reasons why it's important to tame the tongue. But tonight, I just want you to ask yourself self-examination. If I'm a disciple and I have influence, then the more I say, the more there is to answer for. I want to come before God and say, God, please help me to control my tongue. Because I don't want greater condemnation. This is a serious matter tonight, and especially our teachers tonight. Examine yourself. But anybody, disciples, people with influence, we all will stand before God someday at every idle word. So James says, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Let's stand. Let's stand together and have a verse of invitation. Listen, the tongue is one of those areas, honestly, that... We all, we all probably fail at. Every one of us, every one of us is at risk. Every one of us needs a tongue test. Every one of us needs to examine ourselves tonight. Listen, if you have influence at all, how are your words affecting positively or negatively those people that are watching you? If you're a teacher... Uh, how are you doing with your tongue outside of class? If you're a teacher, how seriously do you take that responsibility? Be not many masters because the more you say, the more there is to answer for. Father, pray that you'd help us tonight to be submissive to what, the ma what you've spoken, God. As we heard this morning, what the sovereign God has spoken, let us be submissive to. And in the matter of the tongue, God, I really do think that all of us have some examination to do. 
Help us, Lord, to reflect you. Jesus Christ was the ultimate example of someone who controlled his tongue. He controlled his speech. Help us to be like Jesus Christ in our speech. God, so that we, then when we stand before you, will have far less to answer for, God. We need you just to open our eyes and help us to, to, to examine tonight. Lord, we love you and we need you. And pray that you bless this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.